surrounding communities. It's 7 o'clock at night. That's right, 1900 hours, and you're listening to the Polo Sargero Show, where the heat is on and we educate our community through interviews with professionals. All right, folks, thank you again for ch- tuning in. Today's uh, the Polo Sargero Show from 7 to 8 o'clock. We have former state representative John Lepper and also retired chair on uh, the commission uh, on the status of grandparents raising grandchildren and from the eight to nine o'clock segment we'll have uh, city councilor Todd Cobus uh, Attleboro city councilor Todd Cobus uh, will be talking about current events happening in Attleboro uh, his time in office thus far and uh, just what's going on in the city uh, but first uh, uh, Mr. Lepper thank you for coming in today you're welcome. Nice <laughs> to see you. Nice to be with you. How are you? How you doing? I'm doing okay for an old fellow. <laughs> for uh, for some of our listeners who uh, some may know you, some may not know you, could you give us a little uh, a brief background on you, who you are, and what you currently do right now? Well, I grew up in Attleboro. Uh, went to Attleboro High School. Went on to college and then to graduate school. Uh, my involvement uh, in the city is, you know, I've, I've lived here practically all of my life. Uh, my brother and I ran a factory on the east side for a while, uh, for 25 years together, uh, which was started by my father. And, uh, but as far as my involvement with uh, uh, political things in the city, I was a city councilor for seven years, state rep for 14 I was also a member of the planning board for one year, so I had a considerable amount of time devoted to political activity here in the city as well as in in uh, Massachusetts. You know, at the state at the state level, uh, my education uh, allowed me to travel around a little bit. Uh, I got my master's degree from Johns Hopkins School of Advanced International Studies in Washington and my PhD from Georgetown, uh, did a Fulbright in the Philippines, and uh, really specialized in academic life in on questions having to do with international affairs, but uh, my teaching at various places has been, you know, generally on the, uh, the political science curriculum as, as a whole. Gotcha. And right now I'm teaching it at uh, the Bristol Community College campus in Attleboro. Yeah, and that was my intro to actually meeting you, was uh, uh, urban government on politics class that uh, that BCC offers. Um, so, all right, we're going to talk a little bit about, uh, oh, for our listeners that are, uh, if you're interested in calling in uh, prior, you know, once we get the show going, uh, you can call in and ask any questions. Uh, the segment the, for this hour, it's going to be grandparents raising grandchildren. So if you have any questions, feel free to call in. It's 508-222-1320. Or you can send me an email, and uh, I have it up right now. So it's uh, paulo, P-A-U-L-O, at W-A-R-A-Radio.com. And if you send your messages through there, I'll, I can ask uh, Mr. Lepper uh, your questions. So, uh, so we, you know, we have, we have some time prior to our first break. So how did uh, this commission, uh, the Grandparents Raising Grandchildren, how did it all start? Because I, I know you got some background in, in the, the makings of it. How did this all start, and what kind of what was the motivation behind this commission to begin? Well, I my wife and I took uh, custody of two of our grandchildren in 1988, and as a result of that, uh, I became once I got to the legislature involved with uh, an of, uh, 
an organization called the Grandparents Resource Network, which was operated out of uh, the Executive Office of Elder Affairs. Uh, it was a, an agency that, uh, or an organization, an effort that coordinated different support groups for grandparents uh, back uh, in the late 90s, and, and it, it actually fell apart in 2003 after a budget cut. So I felt that it was necessary to continue this process going because the number of grandparents raising grandchildren was increasing dramatically. Uh, and so I filed legislation and in 2008 the commission was established uh, and that's how we got started. We've been in operation now for 10 years and for the first nine years I was the chairman of the commission. Gotcha. How long did that process take, though? To get it? Yeah, the beginning of... Well, actually, actually, I probably filed the legislation uh, in a term prior to the one in which it was enacted. Uh, so it probably took about uh, four years to get the legislation through. The way in which it got through was that Diane Spilka, who is now the president yep. of the Senate, was the chairman of the committee that I was a minority member on, and um, she included it in a, into a much larger piece of legislation that had been filed by the Speaker for the purposes of um, dealing with questions having to do with child abuse and neglect. Gotcha. So now the legislation uh, exists. It's part of the general laws. It's part of uh, Chapter 3, Sections uh, 69 of the general laws. Gotcha. And uh, what's the what's the the mission of this the commission? What's its primary goal? As the goal of the commission is to try to help grandparents through uh, uh, trying to develop for them support groups in communities and to get community support for them, but also to alert the legislature to the issues that they that grandparents face, which are somewhat different than issues that. Uh, parents face uh, and that the legislature needs to focus on uh, and the government, not just the legislature, but the government in general needs to focus uh, on the issues so that the children that these kids, uh, uh, that these grandparents are taking care of will have a secure and uh, stable home life. Yeah, but it was interesting because prior to the Shaw's you know, thoughts came to my mind. It was, it's interesting because there was, you know, there's, it's multifaceted. You had grandparents raising uh, grandchildren, but then you have, you know, parents raising their own child, but then there's also the, you know, the, the aspect of foster care and how you're trying to, you know, a grandparent wants to raise their grandchildren so they don't go to foster care, and then the foster care is advocating for their, you know, uh, their situation. So it's, uh, it's multifaceted. Well, you know, you're talking about the involvement of the Department of Children and Families in placing children, over 7,000 children in the Commonwealth uh, that are involved with DCF, with families once they have, once the children themselves are in a situation where they can't be at home. Uh, some of those uh, foster parents are grandparents, but that is all got to do with whether or not the manner in which the grandparents receive, you know, uh, start to uh, get involved legally with their with their grandchildren is through the uh, DCF system or through the probate court. 
There's a big difference there as in terms of the degree of support and uh, uh, the, the way in which uh, uh, the grandparents and the children themselves are handled. Absolutely. Alrighty, folks, we're in studio with Mr. John Lepper, who is the retired chair on the Commission on the Status of Grandparents Raising Grandchildren. Uh, later on this segment, we're going to talk about resources and services that the Commission offers, uh, what the situation looks like for a grandparent raising a grandchild. Um, so if you guys have any questions, you can call in at 508-222-1320 or send an email to paulo, P-A-U-L-O, at WARARadio.com. And uh, for the second half of the show, from 8 to 9, we're going to have City Councilor Todd Kobus in. So stick around, and we'll talk a little bit more about grandparents raising grandchildren right after these messages. In order to accommodate working parents and school times, an unlikely story in Plainville will host a Sunday story time on the first Sunday of every month. Story time consists of a half hour of stories, songs, and a simple craft, and is recommended for ages 2 to 6, but all story lovers are welcome. Registration will open one week before. Only children need to register. The next story time will take place on Sunday, October 7th at 11 a.m. and run until 11.30. To register for the event, you can visit their website and unlikelystory.com. Amigo Inc. is currently looking for qualified individuals to help fill various positions within the company. Located at 33 Perry Avenue, Amigo is offering full and part-time positions in addition to per diem opportunities. Amigo offers first, second, and third shift availability to help fit your needs and theirs. When you join Amigo, you will help to create a positive client experience for all the individuals we have the privilege of serving on a daily basis. For more information on all positions available, please call 508-455-6200 or visit our website at amigoinc.org. Okay, men, this is your time. Maybe you didn't choose this. That you're here now you're gonna go out there and be an all-star caregiver it's up to you so what are you gonna do you're gonna go grocery shopping cook clean be there emotionally and physically you gotta dig deeper drive them to physical therapy doctor's appointments don't you forget about the pharmacy i know you won't because that's what caregivers do don't give up don't ever give up this is your time to show the world, your family, and yourself that you're tougher than tough. Now go out there and be the best caregiver this world has ever seen. Caregiving is tougher than tough. Find the care guides you need at aarp.org caregiving. A public service announcement brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. This week on WACS, watch the Massachusetts Gaming Commissioner, Gail Cameron, present the keynote address at the United Regional Chamber of Commerce's Women's Expo. Gail spoke about her experience in leadership roles and what it takes to achieve change. You can watch this program and all of our quality programs from around the area in high definition on the WACS mobile app. Alrighty, folks, we're back in studio with uh, Dr. John Lepper, uh, who is the retired chair on uh, the the, the Commission on the Status of Grandparents Raising Grandchildren. We're going to talk about the resources and services that the Commission offers to our community. Uh, but first, can we? not every situation is the same, obviously, a grandparent raising their grandchild or grandchildren. But could you, could you explain a little bit about maybe what the typical situation looks like for a grandparent? How does a grandparent even get into that type of circumstance? There are lots of different ways in which uh, grandparents... Uh, 
uh, get involved with uh, raising their grandchildren. I mean, th there are situations such as uh, when people are incarcerated or when people are, where parents are um, uh, overseas uh, as a result of military obligations. Uh, there are situations where deaths occur or mental illness occur. But the big uh, increase in the number of grandparents raising grandchildren in, uh, in the last few years has been as a result of the opiate crisis. Here, we, we did a, a limited survey of um, the support groups in, uh, the United, uh, in, in, uh, in Massachusetts and found that uh, most of the grandparents that were attending these support groups were there because their children are involved in the opiate crisis and at least 30% of the grandparents were raising children who themselves were addicted uh, to opiates uh, when they were born. So those grandparents have a tremendous burden and uh, one of the things that's we like to emphasize is the fact that the grandparents that are doing this work are, you know, if they weren't doing this work, then the burden on the state resources would be enormous. It would be it would be tremendously greater than it is at the present time, and it's it's great at the present time. Uh, uh, let's not be, uh, uh, you know, we have to understand that as well. Yeah, and, and I was talking earlier, uh, you know, I was thinking about this, this situation in general and how tough it must be for grandparents. Because you look at a grandparent, typically probably will, will be on fixed income, uh, I would assume. You probably have the statistics. How many grandparents actually are on fixed income versus? Well, there is a certain percentage of people below the poverty line that are raising grandchildren most of grandparents are not on fixed income. Most of the grand, most grandparents are in the in the workforce, and so you know you don't get it. You don't want to get the idea that the grandparents are all senior citizens. They're not. Uh, in fact, the majority of people who are raising grandchildren are are people who are in the below the age yeah. the federal government determines as being senior citizens. They're in their fifties. They're in their forties. Yeah. And so they, their issues are that, you know, all of a sudden, perhaps, and of, often it happens that way, a critical situation develops, and now the kids are with them. Their grandchildren are with them. And yeah. so they have to find, they have to learn about, you know, what their legal uh, situation is. They have to learn about uh, how they can handle the situation of working and still taking care yeah. of these kids. Uh, they have to figure out a lot of things that, uh, that they didn't, in many instances, in most instances, they didn't really expect to have to do this when they were already had raised their, their, their family, you know. Yeah. That, that, and, and, so that, and that becomes, that becomes uh, uh, doing this in a situation like that is in itself a, t a tense situation for grandparents. They, you know, the first public agency that they come in contact with, assuming that they have taken a, pro a proactive in a situation themselves, recognizing that they need to do something, rather than having DCS come in to say, hey, you know, you better do something, 
uh, because we've been notified that this situation exists, uh, the first thing they have to do is figure out, you know, what their legal situation is. Because if they're going to approach the uh, the school system, if they're going to approach the medical society, uh, you know, uh, situation in hospitals and things like that, they have to have established a legal relationship with these children. It isn't enough to be a blood relative. Yeah. Uh, you have to have gone through the process of establishing guardianship. Yep. So, I mean, they could be on fixed income and then eventually having to raise a grandchild could leave them to entering the workforce as well too well that could happen i'm and uh, i'm sure but you know and, and there is a difference between people who are doing it jointly and people who are doing it alone there's a tremendous number of women grand grandmothers who are doing it all by themselves uh, in my situation that wasn't the case there were two of us that were raising these two girls and uh and so my wife was the one who had the, the largest burden because she uh, not she, we had to figure out how she was going to be able to to do that she left the particular the job she had and took another job uh, and so it was able to organize uh, her efforts uh, so that the kids had uh, in other words she went to work at a child at a child care center she, and so so that so that when it came time for them to to be, uh, you know, instead of having a babysitting situation, my wife was at the child care center and therefore uh, at Pete's State in South Attleboro so that, uh, you know, she could watch the kids all day long by, by at the same time being involved with other children. Absolutely. And I was on the, uh, the commission's website the other day and uh, I also shared this uh, P PDF file with you. Could we talk a little bit about the different situations that, uh, in terms of, you know, you have uh, the legal arrangements. So you have in informal guardianship, adoption, and then the, the caregiver authorization. Can we talk a little bit about... Well, yeah, I can talk about yeah, that. Yeah, can we do... The, the caregiver, caregiver authorization is a, is a process by which uh, you don't have to go to court to have that done. It has to be notarized by a, by, by a, uh, a certified... Uh, certified... Uh, like the city clerk and the, so forth, the notary, who notif yeah, yeah. notifies things. But the 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 process is that's that's in the situation where it is really a temporary situation. Let's say that uh, a, a, a person who is a a, a mother, a single mother, is in the military, and she knows she's going to be uh, go overseas for a while. Then she she might want to sign one of those agreements so that the grandparents can take charge of the, of the children uh, legally uh, while, that per, while the person is away. That's a much different situation than one in which you uh, don't have a, a, a cooperative agreement with the parents of the child. When you have a, a situation like that, then you're going to be in the court. And the court is your first stop in, in terms of establishing some type of legal relations, may, probably guardianship, unless the situation is so serious that the parents uh, ultimately will have their uh, parental rights uh, taken away, which would mean that you were eligible to be then uh, uh, there, uh, you could adopt the children. But this, this, there are situations that uh, the difference between guardianship and adoption is the difference in uh, the permanency of the situation. When you, if you adopt a child, 
then you are their parents. Everything uh, relative to the way uh, the, their, uh, their parents is, is severed. So you're fully responsible for them in every way, financially and, and every, in every way. Uh, guardianship is less, uh, uh, is a more temporary situation, although guardianship can last a long period of time. And, and it usually is a situation in which adoption is not an option because there is still people contending that, you know, that uh, they, they should be in effect the ones that are uh, again, in charge. This is a situation, for example, you get into with uh, drug addiction. Uh, uh, perhaps, uh, you know, the court will say that you as a grandparent have a temporary guardianship in, in the hopes that uh, the parent will clean up their act. And that parent may think that they have cleaned up their act and therefore they'll come back into the court and attempt to get you know, reestablish their parental rights. Uh, in that situation, uh, and, and, and that's, that's fraught with a lot of, uh, of uh, frustration on both sides because of the degree to which uh, we see uh, recidivism. 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 Yeah, uh, um, among uh, people who are dealing with drug problems. Absolutely. And then just the... Uh that's adoption and guardianship, and then just uh, the informal. Uh, what does that typically consist of? Uh, on that PDF file, the informal says, uh, you know, this happens when you are just caring for the child. Uh, it may work for short periods. Is that's that, what I just. That yeah. was what I gave, That's what I spoke about first. Yeah. Well, that was the caregiver authorization. Well, uh, about they're, they're, they're kind of like the same thing. Yep. All right. And now, if uh, if a grandparent's deciding whether or not, is there Maybe something a grandparent can think of, uh, whether or not to actually go forward with the adoption versus a guardianship. Are there different um, uh, resources available to, available to them, whether or not they decide which way to, to officially adopt or just stay as a guardian? There are people who have, have, have to decide about that. There are others who don't have the option available to them, like as I just explained to you. The uh, the parents are still contending that con in in contention uh, uh, and 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 are conceivably going to come back into the situation. They can come back into the court if it's a guardianship situation. They can continue to come back into the court and challenge the person who is the guardian. Mm -hmm. And and so as long as that situation exists. Uh, the, the possibility of uh, adopting the children is less. But another factor that you need to take into consideration when you're thinking about adoption is, is that if, if you're under the jurisdiction, let's, let's make a distinction here between uh, whether or not the uh, Department of Children and Families has been involved in the case or not. If the Department of Children and Families is involved in the case, then the, your, your uh, ability to receive benefits, for example, possibly becoming a foster, a foster parent for those children, but you, if, if you're going to be in that situation, the, the extent to which you re can receive benefits from the state is substantial. In comparison to a person who goes through the probate court, 
and does it on their own, in which case then the state is not really providing them with any financial or other kinds of assistance automatically. Yeah. And so that's a big deal. That's a big difference. Absolutely. All right? And so um, oftentimes uh, the commission is involved with attempting to help, you know, grandparents in both situations, but the ones that have less access to assistance are the ones that we are focus, focus more on. Gotcha. Alrighty, folks, we're in studio with Dr. Le- uh, John Lepper, who was the retired chair on the Commission uh, for the Status of Grandparents Raising Grandchildren. We're going uh, we, to take a quick break, and then once we come back, we're going to talk about more of the resources and services and the workings of the Commission and how to get in, in contact with the Commission, what you guys, uh, what uh, people can look forward to, and kind of more of the, the resource and service space uh, things that the Commission offers. So we'll be right back after these messages. Hi, my name is Chris Weilman and I'm the manager of the Elder Dental Program. We are inviting any seniors residing in Massachusetts who are 60 and older to attend our free dental screening clinic in Taunton on Saturday, October 20th from 8.45 a.m. to 1 p.m. Participants will receive a free dental screening and have an opportunity to speak with our dentist in the clinic's relaxed and friendly setting. Participants will be screened for oral cancers and have a chance to receive free denture cleanings. For more information, call 774-203-1326. The Free Dental Screening Clinic is organized by the Elder Dental Program, a project of the Community VNA. Claudino's Auto Repair, located at 310 South Main Street in Attleboro, is celebrating 25 years in the auto and truck repair business. Over the years, John Claudino and his team of mechanics have worked to build a long-lasting rapport with their customers. From oil changes to diagnostics, transmissions, and routine maintenance on foreign and domestic cars and trucks, Claudino's will keep your vehicle running. Claudino's Auto Repair, 508-226-8545 or at claudinosautorepair.com. I spend a lot of time in the garage, but even more time in the rain, sleet, and mud. In 95, I helped tow your moving trailer. In 05, I helped you get out of a ditch. Yeah. I know I'm a bit rusty, and sadly in 09, it was sparks from me, your handy chains, dragging behind your truck that accidentally started a wildfire. Sparks from dragging chains can start a wildfire. Spark a change, not a wildfire. Visit SmokeyBear.com, brought to you by the U.S. Forest Service, your state forester, and the Ad Council. Only you can prevent wildfires. Alrighty, folks, we're back in studio with Dr. John Lepper, who is a uh, retired, uh, former state representative, former city councilor of Attleboro, and also the, a retired chair for uh, the Commission on the Status of Grandparents Raising Grandchildren. We talked a little bit about the different... Uh, the different situations a grandparent can be in, whether it be a guardian uh, or whether it be an adoption. Uh, but there was a distinction I wanted to clear up a little bit, and that is uh, 
an informal uh, uh, situation that a grandparent could be in in regards to a legal ar arrangement with their grandchild versus uh, the caregiver author uh, authorization for. So could you talk a little bit about the difference between those two? Well, caregiver authorization, adoption, and guardianship are, uh, are various legal ways in which you can be in a relationship with your grandparents, considering, uh, you know, given the fact that you may have, you know, been in a situation where you have to take care of them. You can be taking care of your grandchildren without any legal relationship and in an informal situation. That happens a great deal in big urban uh, metropolitan areas. Uh, and the reason it happens informally is because many people are not interested in getting uh, involved with the government. They don't want to, uh, you know, answer statistic forms. They just they want to stay away from the government for because there are certain restrictions on uh, activities uh, such as in housing. Uh, if, for example, a grandparent in, a, in an urban area is living in a senior housing facility and all of a sudden something happens in their family life where they have to take charge of their grandparents, I mean, take charge of their grandchildren, then, you know, if they bring them into the senior housing situation, that's not, you know, that's, that's, that's illegal. You're not supposed to do that. And therefore, the attempt on the part of the grandparents to establish a legal relationship is, uh, is one which uh, they may not go, uh, attempt to do. Uh, so in, in those situations and in other situations where people are leery of the government, uh, the, uh, they do it informally. Uh, and, and as a result of doing it informally, they don't have the, uh, uh, the legal uh, rights to, to take care of them in the way in which uh, they would have otherwise. That, you know, that they may go to the school might, might inter try to intervene in the school situation to mm -hmm. get them type of special at attention. If they don't have a legal relationship with the children, the school's gonna say, well, you know, where are the parents? Yeah. You know, why are you here and they're not here? And the same situation in, with the medical situation. So it's not good to be uh, in an informal situation trying to take care of grandchildren, but we understand why uh, why that happens and why, for example, the census statistics don't necessarily reflect the tremendous number of grand, the greater number of grandparents who are actually involved in taking care of these kids. Because, you know, we know that uh, from having dealt with this situation over 10 years, there are a lot more grandparents taking care of grandchildren than show up in the census statistics. Mm -hmm. So w would you say that if, if the goal is to be a strong advocate for your grandchild to stay kind of fray away from uh, the informal side yeah, of it? Yeah, it, it, it's much better to establish a legal relationship. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's, much more, it's, it's important for you to do that. Now, as far as the commission is concerned, and the commission has got 15 members. They're all appointed by various uh, political individuals in the state government, from the governor down to uh, the attorney general, to people like the Speaker of the House, the Senate President, and so forth. 
and as I said, we've been, in, and, and one of the things we did was expand the number from 11 originally and to, to 15 to include uh, an appointee from the probate court, an appointee from the juvenile court, the ju chief justice's appointees, uh, and also to give the speaker and the Senate president a, an additional appointment so that one of their appointments would be from their legislative body, another from the House of the Senate. So we have a pretty uh, sophisticated and, and uh, uh, a, a commission that is uh, uh, one that has n a number of people on it who are there be and are uh, contributing because they are grandparents raising grandchildren and other people who are professionals in and have been appointed because they know about issues and, and concerns that are facing the grandparents. For example, the woman who is currently the president of the, uh, the chairman of the commission works for the probate and family court. Yep. And the vice president of the commission is a woman who is the former head of the volunteer lawyers project, the Boston Bar. We have an assistant attorney general on the commission. We have an assistant minority, majority leader of the of uh, the legis of the House of Representatives on the commission. So it's a, a rather uh, professional and uh, sophisticated group of people that are dealing with these issues. Absolutely. And, and what are some of the things that the commission uh, does or services that they offer to grandparents? Like, what yeah. can the commission help grandparents with? The commission, with? for a long period of time, did not have any money. We didn't have an appropriation. We knew about the issues. We knew about the problems. We didn't have any money to do anything at all. Then, in about 2015, we got an appropriation. That appropriation allowed us to hide a, a director. Her name is Colleen Pertoni. She's a licensed social worker with a master's degree from Boston College, has been involved with grandparent issues ever, for a very long time. She had her own support group in, uh, uh, before she became uh, uh, the person who was the uh, director of the commission. We hired her, and uh, she is really the, the person who is coordinating all, all of the activities that, we, that take place. Uh, and I should probably tell you that the best possible way in which to understand what the commission is doing is to uh, get uh, onto your uh, uh, webpage and, and, and take a look at the webpage for the commission. Uh, and that webpage is at massgrg.com. Uh, you can also call, contact Colleen Pertoni, who is the director of the commission. Uh, her phone number is 617-748-2454. All of this information, contact information, incidentally, is on the webpage at massgrg.com. And what you find, if you look at that, is that in the beginning we started out by uh, uh, providing certain information and referral uh, sheets. We wanted to uh, uh, develop uh, these tip sheets that... Uh, are all on the commission webpage that deal with various subjects which grandparents are facing. For example, the whole issue of the different types of legal situations. Uh, wh what happens when the Department of Children and Families is involved? Uh, a tip sheet on talking to your grandchildren about their parents' drug and alcohol abuse. 
there's all kinds of information like that uh, on, on the webpage in these tip sheets, which have been developed over the 10 years that we've been, operation, been in operation. Every June we have a conference. Uh, the conference is free, it, it, and it's usually held in uh, the central part of the state, Marlboro, someplace like that. Uh, last, uh, last June, we had 225, 250 grandparents and, and people who were uh, providers there to hear uh, the uh, keynote speaker and to engage in uh, uh, programs all throughout the day. That's been going on for probably about eight years now. Uh, some of the people that we've had come and speak to us, uh, people like uh, the Chief Justice of the Probate Court, uh, Sylvia Odonia, she's no longer the Chief Justice. Now the Chief Justice is John uh, Casey. That name might be familiar to you because John Casey is from North Attleboro yeah. and his brother is an attorney in Attleboro. Uh, Secretary uh, Mary Lou Sutter, the Secretary of Health and Human Services, spoke to us at one point. So it's it's a day that people look forward to who are who are uh, involved with uh, grandparents raising grandchildren. One of the things the commission is very much involved in is developing support groups throughout uh, the Commonwealth. There are when we started probably less than 20 support groups. There are now over 50. And, they and they're all over the, the Commonwealth, with the majority of them being here, of course, in the more urban areas. Uh, Since you just brought that up, the, uh, the Attleboro location one is the Robbins Children's Center, correct? Right. And the, yeah. that's, uh, yeah. that's at 803 North Main Street. Um, and correct me if this, maybe, I don't know, I'm, I'm assuming this information is still accurate. The group meets uh, every third Tuesday of the month uh, from 6 to 7.30 p.m., um, and the person to contact for that is Leanne Pereira. Is that still that, well, accurate? Well, the person to contact, the, the reason for, t I mean, the reason to contact her is if you need uh, babysitting. You need to register with her and, and call her number if you, if you need babysitting. Babysitting is available during the meeting, but you need to let her know that ahead of time. And so uh, that's, that's really the purpose of that. And, gotcha. Uh, yeah. And uh, all right, folks, we're in the studio with uh, Dr. John Lepper. Uh, we're talking about uh, the, he was a retired chair of the commission, uh, grand, Grandparents Raising Grandchildren. And uh, we're talking about the services, resources kind of that the commission offers, uh, kind of what the situation looks like for grandparents, the different legal uh, aspects of it, you know, being uh, whether it be adoption or uh, adopting or whether you want to obtain guardianship, caregiver authorization, or even uh, an informal type of setting. But we're going to take... Uh, our break coming up, and then when we get back, we'll talk a little bit more about some of the projects that the commission has going on, and we'll do our wrap-up. And then uh, from the 8 o'clock to 9 o'clock segment, we will have uh, Attleboro City Councilor Todd Kobus, who's actually just walked into the studio now. And so that will be from the 8 to 9 o'clock uh, segment. So we'll be right back after these messages. On October 30th at 6.30 p.m., the Center for Reconciliation will host The Hidden History of the Second Amendment, a presentation by Carl T. Bogus at Cathedral of St. John, located at 271 North Main Street in Providence. This is a free discussion on the history of the Second Amendment and how it intersects with the history of slavery in the United States. Guests will also have the opportunity to learn from local organizers about gun control activism today. 
Carl G. Bogus is a professor of law at the Roger Williams University School of Law. He has written and spoken extensively about both the Second Amendment and gun control policy. For over 47 years, Amigo Inc. has been offering services and programs for children and adults with autism spectrum disorders and other disabilities. Located at 33 Perry Avenue in Attleboro, Amigo has been committed to building vital relationships while expanding their community ties on the local level. Amigo provides day programs, transitional planning, and a continuum of services to support all ages. For more information, you can visit their website at AmigoInc.org. There are many sounds in your day-to-day life. There are sounds that wake you up. Sounds that make you smile. Sounds that energize you. And sounds that help you relax. But there are some sounds that can alert you to danger and can help save lives. Wireless emergency alerts, now on many mobile devices, use a unique sound and vibration to bring you information about severe weather events, amber alerts, or other emergencies in your area. With critical information from local sources you know and trust, you can be in the know, wherever you are. For more information, visit ready.gov alerts. Brought to you by FEMA and the Ad Council. Alrighty, folks, we're back in studio with Dr. John Lepper, who is a former uh, state representative and also a former uh, Attleboro City Councilor and also the retired chair of the Commission on the Status of Grandparents Raising Grandchildren. And we're talking about the, the commission, uh, the resources and services that they kind of provide and advocate for. C- could you talk about what's the commission doing right now? What are some of the current projects going on? What's the situation look like for the commission? One of the things that happened as a result of the appropriation, uh, the, the uh, budget that just has been uh, passed by the, by the legislature is that uh, $50,000 was appropriated for a study to determine uh, the effect of op- the opiate crisis on grandparents raising j- uh, grandchildren. And that study is being done by the uh, medical school at UMass Boston. That's one of the things which is uh, being talked about by the leaders of the Grandparents Commission, Elder Affairs, the people at UMass, Bo- uh, I'm not UMass Boston, UMass Medical in Worcester uh, right now. That's, that's happening right now. The study will be completed by the end of the fiscal year. Uh, Another thing which the Grandparents Commission uh, attempted to get through this year was a piece of legislation, House 2274, which was filed by uh, Representative Paul Donato and uh, Pat Chalian, who's a senator uh, on the commission at that time. And the purpose of the legislation was to attempt to uh, uh, have the let have the law changed so that people who are indigent facing uh, a situation in who are grandparents indigent in a in a courtroom facing a challenge to their guardianship would be be provided with legal assistance paid for by the state. Now that piece of legislation did not pass, uh, but it's still in discussion. And as a matter of fact. There is going to be a meeting this month at which the members of the commission and the people who filed it for us, the the person who was involved in writing this legislation was Abby Taylor, who is head of the uh, uh, 
uh, section in the Attorney General's office, which, which deals with uh, uh, children who have been neglected, and we are going to be sitting down with the mass, with the uh, with the uh, Women's Bar Association in October to try to work out some type of legislation which is going to be acceptable to all parties and beneficial to grandparents raising grandchildren uh, who are in that type of situation. The things that you know people with less money need, who are in the workforce, is uh, childcare, legal assistance, uh, uh, and they they need these things desperately. As I've made try to make the point earlier, that if they weren't doing the job, the burden on the state would be uh, much greater, and it would behoove the. Uh, powers that be with, and this is our responsibility as a commission to let the government know that hey, this is a problem. Do some, you know, this is what we think you should be doing. You should be providing a cutout for grandparents for childcare, and you should be providing grandparents, so it, who, especially those that are poor and taking care of grandchildren with some type of legal assistance so that they can go into court and be on a level playing field. Because in many cases, you know, everybody in the courtroom has a lawyer except the grandparents. Absolutely. Uh, and the commission uh, meets uh, the second Wednesday of every month, correct? They meet each, each month. We, 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 we have a, an open meeting. At the, the, uh, it's at, on uh, the fifth floor of Ashburton Place in Boston, right across from the State House, at, on the, at the ex ex Executive Office of Elder Affairs. And that's at 2, two to 4 p.m., correct? Right. They meet? Right. And yeah. uh, so just for our listeners, too, uh, we mentioned Colleen Pertoni, who is the uh, GRG coordinator. Uh, so if you wanted to contact the commission via uh, mail, you can uh, address it to Commission on the Status of Grandparents Raising Grandchildren, CEO Colleen Pertoni, GRG Coordinator. The address would be 600 Washington Street. This says 6th Floor, Boston, Mass. That was on the Commission's website. That's, right. That's correct. Yep. All this information is on the webpage. Yep. So massgrg.com yep. is the place to go to get uh, get all the information about the uh, uh, how to contact uh, Colleen and how to you know, access the uh, various uh, services. That, by the way, there's a whole list on on the webpage of all the support groups that changes yep. dramatically. It changes rapidly, but they're they're being added and and, and all the time. Absolutely. And if you could give uh, a piece of advice to maybe a grandparent who's just becoming in that situation where they're going to be raising their grandchildren or grandchild, what kind of advice or tips would you give well, a grandparent? Well, you know, the first thing that I did was, was to establish legal relationship with them. And now that's not necessarily the easiest thing to do if you don't have a lawyer. Mm -hmm. I happened to have a lawyer that knew what he was doing. Yeah. And so therefore, as soon as I determined that it was necessary to take custody of these grandchildren and to make them put them into a safe environment uh, where they weren't going to be uh, involved with uh, parents who had de were dealing and being involved with drugs uh, uh, you know that establishing that le legal relationship was the most important thing to, to do in the first instance that uh, is the advice I would give to to, to the grandparents uh, who 
immediately are sit, sitting there, you know, where all of a sudden overnight somebody comes and says to them, you know, you, there's a problem you've got to take care of, or you recognize it yourself. Absolutely. And again, uh, so like I said earlier, I think uh, in order to be a strong advocate, I think that relationship's probably needed, that legal representation w with that grandchild, because uh, I feel like your resources if, you, are more. If you're doing it informally, God bless you. I mean, <laughs> you know, uh, but, but, you know, unless there's some real impediment to your well-being, uh, as a result of doing it, you should establish the legal relationship so that once you go into a school or once you go into a medical facility, they're going to recognize that they're going to say, you know, that you're going to be able to show that you are in charge. Yeah. And if you can't show that you're in charge, then, you know, they're going to uh, be uh, less cooperative. Absolutely. Uh, a question that came up to my mind just now. What, uh, what drives you still with, with this commission? What, why you're still, uh, you're still active in our community, still active in the commission? Well, what is it that drives uh, well, Dr. Lepper? As <laughs> <laughs> yeah, my wife asked me that too. Uh, you know, how long are you going to keep teaching? Uh, I, I guess it's because, you know, in many respects, I benefited from, you know, growing up in this community. I know that, you know, we need to have more people like you who will take a course in, uh, in state and local government or national government and want to be involved in the community. And so, uh, and it's important to have, you know, honest, uh, upright people uh, doing that kind of uh, thing because local local government is and is important. I mean, uh, you know, dealing with things like building a school or building a water filtration plant or yeah. making sure that you know there are emergency preparedness facilities available for people. That's important stuff, and uh, and so for those that. Or want to do that or are interested in it, I think it's good for them to have a background in what the government, uh, you know, what the, what the government, how the government is, uh, functions and what the values of the, that, the, uh, that this country was, based, was, was founded on. Absolutely. Alrighty, folks, we're in the studio with uh, Dr. John Lepper. Uh, we're going to be wrapping it up. We have a five, a five more minutes to go. Um, uh, like I said uh, earlier, uh, this kind of a trademark to the little show that we've done. I kind of ask all our guests at the end. Um, and so I'd like to ask you as well, if you could talk to anyone from history and you can ask them one question, who would you want to talk to and what would you want to ask them? Well, I don't know what I'd want to ask him, but I sure as hell would like to be able to. Uh, I, I would like to have met Winston Churchill uh, because uh, I have a great respect for his uh, his career and the, the degree to which he uh, rallied the British people in the situation which dramatically affected the freedom of the uh, of you know the, of not only Great Britain but the free world. Uh, uh, what I would like to ask him is, you know, you know uh, what brandy did he drink? <laughs> <laughs> I actually know the answer. <laughs> That's awesome. That's good stuff. But already, do you have any uh, things you wanted to wrap up with? Any uh, last uh, things you wanted to mention? Or No, I'd just like to say that if there are grandparents out there that think that they're alone, they're not alone. 
and there is a, there are, are, are those of us that have gone through the process. We know we know the aches and pains. We know all the frustrations. And if you have an issue that you'd like to take uh, to a to somebody who knows how to deal with it, call uh, Colleen Petroni uh, or, or go to the webpage, massgrg.com, and, and get the information to contact here. Get in touch with a support group locally, wherever you are, and, uh, and, and you'll find out that you're not alone and you'll learn from the people that are dealing with it too. Absolutely. Alrighty, folks, I'd like to thank uh, Dr. Lepper again for coming in today, giving us uh, the information on the commission on, uh, on the status of grandparents raising grandchildren. Uh, so, uh, Councilor, uh, Attleboro City Councilor Todd Kobus is actually in studio uh, right now. So, we're going to, he's going to be from the 8 o'clock to 9 o'clock segment. And uh, so, yeah, thank you again for coming in today. And uh, so, stick around, folks. We'll be right back after these messages.
talking with David Who's still in the Navy And probably will be for life Welcome to the ECS Daily News. The Larson Senior Center recently held their annual 1950s sock hop luncheon. Seniors danced to 50s music provided by DJ Dominic Katoya, and we spoke with him to find out more. I'm Dominic Katoya, and I'm here at the Larson Senior Center here in Attleboro. It is our annual 50s sock hop once again. And basically, they've been doing this now for the last few years, and they've asked me to come down here. But it's, it's a chance for uh, our seniors here in the Attleboro area to come out, uh, maybe, uh, you know, uh, win some prizes, uh, maybe do a, uh, a sock hop, you know, and it's kind of um, twisting contest, a stroll contest, which we'll do a little later on this morning, uh, and just a little bit of everything. We do give prizes uh, being sponsored by Bristol Elder Services and the Larson Senior Center here in Attleboro. Hello, my name is Phyllis Campbell, and I'm at the Attleboro Senior Center. We're here to have a good time. It's called a sock hop. I made this outfit a long time ago for the shows we used to have that came from the senior center. 
and that's how I got involved with the senior center and now I come to three exercise classes a week here at the senior center very involved and I used to work at the desk and I like it very much a lot of people don't realize that the Larson Senior Center is one of the top senior centers in all of Massachusetts. They've been doing that for, for a number of years. It gets a chance for them to come out, be with their peers. They've got the saddle shoes, they've got the jeans, they've got the, the black coats, the leather jackets, uh, you know, the poodle skirts. Uh, you know, you've got a little bit of everything. It brings them back to when they were growing up in the 50s and 60s. We remember a lot from years ago. When life was simple, <laughs> the uh, chubby checkers in the twist, jitterbugging. Everybody remembers Bobby's in Attleboro. Um, Janet White Frazier used to have a dance every Saturday night at the YMCA. Um, a lot of things, all the music. I think it's great, and I wish more people would come. People think the senior center is for old people, but we do have a lot of fun here. When I see these seniors here, I think of my own grandparents. You know, mine have gone now. And when I see these seniors on a monthly basis and even a yearly basis, um, it gets me back to when, you know, when I had my grandparents around, you know. And so I consider them family. I know I'm going to be here, hopefully, years from now, playing the same music that they grew up with. And hopefully the younger generation will start learning some of this uh, 50s and 60s music just like they did. That's it for today's update. You can watch all of our content by visiting our website, doubleacs.com, by downloading the AACS mobile app, or by visiting the AACS Roku channel. For AACS News, Austin Ricketts. a shot at seeing a little sun before it goes down and then partly cloudy breaking clouds overnight with ground fog in spots late falling to 55 southwest winds take over for the warmest afternoon of the work week tomorrow a high of 75 in the afternoon mostly clear and a few scattered clouds overnight tomorrow night a sprinkle in spots falling to 55 and then cool breezes out of the northeast with increasing sunshine on friday a high of 62 it looks like mid-60s with sunshine on Saturday, mainly sunny, way up into the 70s on Sunday. So uh, essentially rain-free of any consequence stretch for the end of the week, through the weekend, and probably right into Columbus Day Monday as well. For 1320 AM, WARA, I meteorologist Jim Corbin. Enjoy! Alrighty, folks, we're back on the air. This is the Paul Salguero Show. We'll be here until 9 o'clock. Uh, in studio with us uh, right now is City Councilor, uh, Attleboro City Councilor, uh, Todd Kobus. Todd, thanks for coming in today. Thanks, Paulo. It's a pleasure to be here. I love the opportunity to come and speak. Absolutely. All right, so uh, th this segment's going to be laid back, and I think... Um, I think we're going to be uh, end up doing this. We'll try to do like every uh, the last Wednesday or so of every month. We'll try to do an up like a city update, kind of what's going on in the city. Uh, Todd Kobus, for some of our uh, listeners who don't know, is uh, newly elected to our city uh, council. Uh, so, Todd, for uh, for some of our listeners who may or may not know you, could you give us uh, a brief background on you, uh, experience, kind of just like a little profile on you? Absolutely. Thanks again for having me on. This is great, and would love to come on uh, on a regular 
semi-regular basis. A um, little bit of background about myself. I grew up here in Attleboro. Both my, my wife and I um, grew up in Attleboro. We have three young kids, um, one in daycare and then one at Sudley, one at Brennan. Um, grew up relatively poor um, and had to join the, the Army National Guard to help pay for college. Um, went to UMass Dartmouth. Um, in the Army, I was an intelligence analyst and I've, I've deployed to both Iraq and Afghanistan. Um, on the civilian side, I work as a software engineer and, and then signed up to, to join city council. Why? <laughs> <laughs> All right, so let's talk a little things about... Were, things were going so well. On that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> And uh, all right, so some of the questions that uh, I wanted to ask personally because I, I'm just interested. Um, we, we both ran at the same time. Uh, you ran for your ward. Uh, your, which, which ward are you again? Ward three. Ward three, and I ran at, at large. But um, one of the questions that came to me: What was your first impression when you found out you were elected? I I was shocked. I I couldn't believe it because I I didn't really. I didn't really have much experience. I, I don't have any experience in politics. And then so to, to come out and run and, and win on, on my first attempt like that, it was, it, it was definitely a shock to me. Um, as things progressed, um, when, when this was initially pitched to me, it was pitched as, oh, it's just every Tuesday night you go to a meeting for a couple hours and that's it. I, I had no idea about the time commitment that would be involved. Um, so, so that's that's definitely been a surprise to, to both myself and and my wife. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But that's what I was going to ask too. Is uh, kind of what was um, one of the things that surprised you being elected? You know, we we see uh, kind kind of what the the book a textbook would say about what it's like to be a city councilor. But I was always curious, uh, you know, re, what reality really is like being a city councilor. Is there anything that really surprised you? It's like that you didn't expect to encounter when you're on the council? So there's, uh, there's an amount of pettiness and it just partisan stuff that happens. Yeah. That's, that's just kind of gross that, that, that happens. I, I would assume it happens in, in any city. Um, but the thing that, that I sort of love, looking beyond that, I, I think the council that we currently have is working fairly well together. Um, as a software guy, the, the software I work on goes in front of billions and billions of people. It's, I mean, to have that sort of impact, small impact on that many people's lives is, is sort of rewarding. But the council stuff is far more rewarding. Yeah. In, in working for the people of Ward 3 and having a direct impact on, on people's lives, that's what's, what's really been surprising for me is, is just how much personal pride I take in in this small part-time job um, one meeting a week allegedly but it's, <laughs> um, that's the thing everyone says it's part-time but uh, I think any elected official at this, the council or wh whatever it may be knows that uh, that's just what the book says but it's really not a part-time gig maybe no. money-wise it is but <laughs> not not right. the actual work that goes on being a city councilor but uh, I mean I think you're doing a fine job I think the people of War 3 would also agree with me um, all right, all right. So we're gonna um, let's see. Now we'll talk a little bit more. Why not? But uh, all right. So that was one of the things that surprised you. Is it? Uh, what are some of the rewarding uh, stories that you've had? Have you uh, heard from the residents, or what's some of the things that you've been involved in in, uh, in our city so far? 
Well, so so far since I've been elected, we've agreed to to fund purchase or building the new high school, which which was one of the things that I was very passionate about. My, I mean, my kids will directly benefit from that. I went to Attleboro High School. I so I see the value in that, um, and so I, I I love the that we move forward with that. I, I love that we purchased Highland Country Club. We passed the budget on time, uh, and so there, there were there's been a number of sort of big things that have happened in just the the was it six seven seven eight months now yeah. that I've been on. Um, in in there's there's actually more going on than than any one counselor can possibly sort of direct their attention at everything. So it, it's been interesting for me to learn how to sort of direct my energy at, at the things that I that I want to direct my at, yeah. attention to and and um, it sort of try to ignore some of the other things that, that may not be as beneficial to the city. Yeah, absolutely. All right, folks, we're in studio with uh, Attleboro City Councilor for Ward 3, Todd Kobus. We're going to be talking about kind of like giving a, a city update, current uh, projects the city's working on, where uh, what his time in office has been like thus far, being newly elected. Uh, so if you stick around, uh, we're going to take a quick break, and we'll come back and talk a little bit more with City Councilor Todd Kobus. We'll be right back after these messages. Dr. Gary Highlander will return to Richards Memorial Library for a series of lectures titled Papers. The series starts with the Federalist Papers on Thursday, October 4th. It will be followed by the Pumpkin Papers on Thursday, October 18th, and the Pentagon Papers on November 1st. All lectures will take place at 7 p.m. Registration is required to attend these lectures. If you'd like to register, you can email librarian Maggie Holmes at mholmes at salesinc.org. All right, class, let's hear what everyone did this weekend. Jill? Well, I raised my older sister to a big oak tree. It was at least a hundred years old. My mom said I must have set a record or something. And then we went down by a stream and perched up on this huge rock and saw all of these little minnows swimming around way below us. And then I rescued my little brother from an evil slug king who was guarding him at the bush fortress. And my sister and I brought him back to our super twig for for safety. And then we all laid out and told stories until it got dark. And the Big Dipper led us all the way home. Where were you, Jill? Yeah. We went to the forest. It's not that far away. Anyone want to come this weekend? Ask your parents to take you and your friends to the forest this week and find the fun, adventurous you. It's closer than you think. Check out discovertheforest.org. Brought to you by the U.S. Forest Service and the Ad Council. You sit down at your table. You get your card. 25 squares hold the key. Which one will it be? I-25, O-72, or Lucky B-13? Which one will be the square that makes you jump up and shout, Bingo! The Attleboro Elks Lodge, 1014, hosts bingo each Sunday at 887 South Main Street. Open to the public, the kitchen opens at 5 p.m. with a variety of food available. Bingo starts at 6 p.m. Prizes are awarded and proceeds support Elks Charities. For further details, you can visit attleboroelks.org or you can call 508-222-5502. Remember, Elks care, Elks share. An unlikely story showcased renowned author Eleanor Teal as she celebrated her latest book, The Treasure of Mad Doc McGee, a story of a little girl named Jenny and her best friend Pandora, who set out on a quest to find a hidden treasure in New Zealand during the gold rush. Audiences retreated to a reading from the book, along with games and activities that helped bring the story to life. 
You can watch this program and all of our quality programs from around the area in high definition on AACS.com. Alrighty, folks, we're back in studio. The Paul Salguero Show will be here until 9 o'clock. Uh, for this portion of the, the show, we're in studio with uh, City Attleboro City Councilor Todd Kobus. We're going to talk about a little city update, kind of his first uh, first year on uh, the city council, what, what he's seen so far, what some of the things that he's worked on. But, uh, Todd, one of the things that you were instrumental in is kind of the marijuana uh, bring the marijuana uh, dispensaries uh, in terms of like the zoning to have them come to Attleboro. You talk a little bit about how this all started and kind of what you were involved in what you did. Sure. Um, I ended up as the zoning and land use chairperson. And when I first came on, that was the, the first thing I was asked to do. They, they asked me to write the adult use marijuana ordinance changes. We're adjusting microphones here. <laughs> um, so that was so. Talk about trial by fire. That was the the first the first big thing that I was asked to take care of on the council, and I, I got to make my mother proud with that. Uh, so to to write this, I I started calling uh, committee meetings on a weekly basis, and, and basically set put together a task force. And we met on a on a weekly basis to to figure out what was important to the city, to hear from, from different people on considerations. And I put a, a goal, a self-imposed goal to, to have a draft written by April 1st, miss that by a month and, and had it turned in by, by May 1st. Um, and that it ended up being about 11 pages of legalese and it rewrote the entire marijuana ordinance um, to include as opposed to having a separate ordinance for adult use marijuana, we took the medical marijuana and the adult use ordinances, merged them together, and and that's what we we sent forward. Um, my the zoning aspects of it were we were going to keep cultivation and manufacturing, and manufacturing being the 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 cooking or creating of edibles or extracting the oils and all of that process. So we wanted to keep the cultivation and manufacturing in industrial zones and put the retail aspects in general business areas, which I think are better suited for that, that type of business. Um, this was, there, there were some disagreements on, on how to do that. I know famously the, the chief of police came out and spoke against that. And, and he and I also had a long conversation at my kitchen table about this and, and his concerns. Um, and the, the mayor felt differently and thought that it, it belonged everywhere um, or in general business. So when this finally came to vote and we voted it out of committee, people had raised some concerns about where the the zoning should be and whatnot, and the the ordinance being eleven pages or so of uh, it, for the draft ordinance was fairly complicated, and by splitting things into two separate zoning regions, it 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 complicated things quite a bit. And so I was concerned. We voted it out on Tuesday, and then on Thursday we were going to vote it in front of the full com uh, council. I was concerned that in front of the full council, somebody would try to amend it to put everything back, in, to restrict everything to industrial areas. Yeah. And so even though I, I very much disagreed with that decision, 
I thought it was important that we have the discussion on the council floor. So I stayed up fairly late on Wednesday night reworking the, the ordinance and drafted the amendment and printed out copies for everybody to say, here's the the original ordinance and, and here's what it would look like if, if we restricted everything to industrial and, and here are all the amendments we need to make. Um, and so I proposed that in front of the full council and, and said, I disagree with this, but let's have the conversation. Let's, what if we do restrict everything to industrial? And I had all of my arguments against it. Um, ultimately, that failed, or the amendment passed. My, my arguments against, or against the amendment failed. Um, and so we moved forward with the adult use marijuana restricted to industrial zones, and that passed unanimously. And so as much as I was disappointed with, the, with that aspect of the outcome, yeah. I was very proud of the way the process worked and that democracy worked and that showed a little bit of respect for my fellow counselors to say, hey, I, I know this is important to you. I disagree with it, but I'm not going to try to play games in order yeah. to, to get this passed. I'm not going to like let you try to stumble and maybe you know forget to dot an I, cross yeah. a T somewhere in the amendment and then strike the whole thing down as opposed to having a discussion on, on the topic itself and, and, and really looking at it on the merits of of the idea. And so as much as I was disappointed, I'm, I'm incredibly proud of the yeah. way the process worked. Yeah. I mean, that's democracy, right? Yeah, I think uh, the word that I'm going to use, and, and we probably don't use it too much in, uh, in politics, was compromise. That's basically what happened. <laughs> so it's almost right. like something was better than absolutely nothing. Uh, you mm -hmm. know, in this city. And, and that's what and I was always curious, too, when I was, uh, you know, reading the paper. And, and for those listening that probably uh, maybe that don't know what we're referring to is that um, right now it's all zoned uh, industrially versus having uh, industrial versus uh, as well as commercial in our city. And, you know, th there was an article. Uh, I can't remember what it was, but uh, I think the mayor said he wanted um, – 10 as opposed to we have five mm -hmm. right now and that was like a big backlash going back and forth in the newspaper i'm just reading i'm like what, like what's the problem you're getting five to start see how it works and then later on if you know and this is just me thinking and later on then expand it if that calls for it you know and that was so the, there are not any limits on the number of cultivation centers manufacturing centers that we have in the city there aren't any limits on medical marijuana within the city the only thing we restricted to five was the number of retail locations for adult use marijuana within the city. And that limit was based on guidance from the state that we couldn't limit um, the total number of retail locations to fewer than 20% of the total number of liquor licenses we have. Mm -hmm. And we have we had 19 at the time. So the, the, the fewest we could limit it to would be four retail locations. Um, but then some guidance from Colorado suggested that in order to effectively replace the illicit market in, in your city, it's good to have – people need access um, to, to marijuana. In a rough density number that's, that they found works best is one retail location per 7,500 residents. So uh, at a borough city of roughly 45,000, yeah. that would have been six locations. So I said, let's meet in the middle. It, it wasn't an arbitrary number. It was based on those two numbers that I was looking at. 
So I set it at five and said, at, let's start there. And at this point, it's a number we can just we can increase if we need to. But if we just opened up the floodgates, it's really hard to put, you know, to, to dial that back. Yeah, and to, to be completely honest, I would like to see some of the industrial zoning actually being utilized in Attleboro. You know, we see we have plenty of it. I mean, you look at all the buildings that you know, I, and we've done a couple of segments uh, on here before where Attleboro was the the jewelry capital. I, I say that you know, people argue, oh, it's Providence, but no, I, I truly believe it was Attleboro. It was jewelry capital, and mm-hmm. all these factories were in Atta- in Attleboro, and now they're just not utilized just because of what's happened. You know, you know, jobs going overseas or people moving to different states. So, to be completely honest. Uh, I liked your idea when it's separating the retail into the commercial and then actually have manufacturing into industrial. I think that's beneficial to having that. And you're actually utilizing the industrial buildings in Attleboro that haven't been used in, in so long. Oh, absolutely. You know, so, uh, all righty, folks. We're, we're in studio with, uh, go ahead. And so one of the things that, that I'm looking at now that will be coming down the pipeline potentially by next year is the Cannabis Control Commission, the, the state board that's, that's regulating adult use marijuana, is looking to vote on October 18th on whether or not to move forward with marijuana delivery services. There were, there were two pieces that were initially on the table for, for the state, which were home delivery and social consumption. Both of those were pulled back um, around April timeframe when, when they you know, finally finalize their, their regulations. So in October, they're going to be voting on delivery services. Social consumption is still very much off the table. Yeah. Um, that delivery service is something I I think we would definitely benefit Attleboro a lot. And so I've worked on a memo, and, and the mayor has signed off on it, and, and um, Jim Hawkins has signed off on it that we're going to be sending forward to the CCC encouraging them to move forward with that. And the rationale and the reason behind supporting that is everybody has concerns about people driving and the intoxication aspects. So this is, in theory, safer for for the residents. But it's also, when we talk about replacing the illicit market, this increases the availability. So it's, it's good for the businesses, increases their sales, also does does well to replace that illicit market by by increasing availability. But one of the other aspects um, is that the surrounding communities that haven't moved forward and passed an ordinance. And Attleboro is one of the the first 24 cities in in the state to to have passed anything. So we're out of 300 300 and however many cities in the state, we're we're definitely ahead of the the pack. Um, So for all of these surrounding communities, if, if we allow delivery into their communities, which the, the state would require, like if, if they pass delivery, they, they would say that these communities that may have voted no can't forbid delivery into their states. All of that tax money from surrounding communities comes back to Attleboro. And so that's, I, I think that's, that's great for the city in general. Yeah, absolutely. I think anyone who who has researched or even seen the news with the cities that have legalized this and the benefits that have they received from the funds fiscally, it, yeah, yeah, fiscally, and um, but you know, it's to me, it's I would say just legalize it throughout the whole state and just tax the hell out of it. <laughs> That's what, but right. uh, but already, folks, we're in studio with uh, Attleboro City Councilor Todd Cobus, and uh, we're talk- giving like a little city update, talking about his, fir- his 
first year on the city council, <coughs> what he's worked on, what he continues to work on. Uh, so if anyone uh, wants to call in and have a question for uh, Todd, you can call in at 508-222-1320, or you can send me an email at paulo, P-A-U-L-O, at WARARadio.com. If you have a question, you can send, an e- send me an email and I'll, I'll ask him. Uh, but we're going to take a quick break, so stick around. We'll be right back after these messages. In order to accommodate working parents and school times, an unlikely story in Plainville will host a Sunday story time on the first Sunday of every month. Story time consists of a half hour of stories, songs, and a simple craft and is recommended for ages 2 to 6, but all story lovers are welcome. Registration will open one week before. Only children need to register. The next story time will take place on Sunday, October 7th at 11 a.m. and run until 11.30. To register for the event, you can visit their website at unlikelystory.com. The Benevolent and Protective Order of Elks has been part of the Attleboro area since 1906. They have always been involved in community service and charitable fundraising, giving back to our veterans, supporting our seniors, and providing youth enrichment opportunities, such as soccer and hoop shoots, fishing derbies, and dictionary projects, while also providing academic scholarships. The Elks are over 800 strong locally, and their members are their greatest asset. To learn more, you can go to attleboroelks.org. Remember, Elks care, Elks share. I spend a lot of time in the garage, but even more time in the rain, sleet, and mud. In 95, I helped tow your moving trailer. In 05, I helped you get out of a ditch. Yeah. I know I'm a bit rusty, and sadly in 09, it was sparks from me, your handy chains, dragging behind your truck that accidentally started a wildfire. Sparks from dragging chains can start a wildfire. Spark a change, not a wildfire. Visit SmokeyBear.com, brought to you by the U.S. Forest Service, your state forester, and the Ad Council. Only you can prevent wildfires. Alrighty, folks, we're back in studio, the Paul Salguero Show. We'll be here until 9 o'clock tonight. Uh, in studio right now, we have Attleboro City Councilor Todd Kobus, uh, Ward 3, uh, his, first, uh, his first year uh, being elected to the City Council. So we're talking about his workings, what he's done. We, uh, we talked about the marijuana industry, the zoning that's been going on. Uh, but in one more thing with the, the marijuana before we move yeah. move on from that. I just wanted to mention that last night we passed the, the city's second uh, special permit, and that was for Canatech Medicinals um, off of O'Neill Boulevard. So that's the, the second one of these special permits. It's, it's an RMD, so it's not adult use. Uh, it, it wasn't an adult use special permit, but uh, that was the first one that I had sort of walked through myself and it, and it was very proud to have passed that last night. Um, but I'd like to give a quick shout out to Councilor Julie Hall. It was, as I was getting ready, it was watching all of the the meetings and looking through the notes that, that she had prepared when, when she passed the first one um, seven, eight months ago. And so it was, it was, she really set the stage for this and, and set the precedent. And so it was, it was fairly straightforward for me to just following her footsteps and passed this one last night so yeah absolutely julie hall was uh 
especially helpful for me too when I decided to to get involved and, and run. And she still continues to, to give me advice. And you know, I just talked to her the other day. Uh, we were just talking about you know she checks in once in a while. She's just checking in. How are you? How you doing? So it, it was good. So it, there was uh, the council is good people on that council, and uh, they they do the best they can. Absolutely. Um, but is there anything uh, else you want to cover about the marijuana before we transition into uh, some of the other topics? No, that, w- that, that was, was it. Okay, cool. Uh, another thing, uh, you know, and I don't know what your take is, but another thing that's been in the news in Attleboro is the Highland Country Club. Um, do you have any thoughts on the Highland Country Club? How do you feel about it? Is there a specific thing you'd like to see it become? or What country club? The Highland Country Club. What? Oh, I, <laughs> sorry. I was like, uh, I'm, I'm saying it right, right? <laughs> um, I, I was very supportive of purchasing Highland Country Club. I think it was a, it was, it was a steal for us to get it at three point, three point one, three point two million dollars. I, I think that was a great investment for the city, and I couldn't have been more supportive of that. The, but as far as what we do with Highland Country Club, I have thoughts of my own i'd love to see cross-country trails and, and and whatnot but for me in the near term i don't want to invest a ton of money in in that property i don't want to see the city doesn't have the money we you know we just passed the high school yeah. residents are going to be struggling with with the taxes when they go up i right now isn't the time for us to build that out and do a lot with highland country club yeah it was, it was important for the city to purchase that land, in, in my opinion, and, and because they're not making more land like that. The, the strategic location right in the center of town for, for that many acres of land, we couldn't pass, pass that up. Um, but right now, I, I don't think it's the time for us to really do much with it. Yeah. I mean, Which I, is unfortunate. Yeah. But. I mean, I, I just hope whatever it turns out to be, they treat it as an investment, meaning <clears throat> something that will generate money for our mm-hmm. city as opposed to just creating something where you know it's not an investment you know treat it as an investment tr- treat it as something that's going to generate money for the city because i think in the long run that's honestly what's beneficial in, in anything you know it, and if there was a proposal that that would be cash flow neutral ca- or cash cash flow positive that that would obviously be something that that i'd be interested in looking at yeah, yeah absolutely um what are some other uh, go- things going on in the city that, that you like to talk about? Is there anything, uh, I'm sure you have things you want to talk about? There are a number of projects going on. Um, one of My main focus, is where I want to put the bulk of my energy in the near term, is on projects for seniors. And it is specifically senior tax relief. I don't have the answers, all the answers, but we have three pieces of new business on the council right now. One of them is a senior tax fund where people can donate into the fund and, and then seniors can apply for that money to um, offset some of their, their taxes, their property taxes. Another one is um, a tax exemption. And we already have, there's a state program for tax exemptions. This sets some of the, the parameters to for the interest rates and, and, and reduces the age limits a, a little bit. So that's before the council as well. And then the third one is a property tax deferral option where seniors can defer a significant amount of their their taxes, which would be collected when when their home is sold later on down the road. Um, and so, I'm 
I think all three of them have their own merits. They they also have their own faults. And but I, I what I'd like to see the city do is offer up a a number of different uh, programs that people can choose from, so that seniors have the option to choose what fits them best. And so that's that's where my focus is, especially after we just passed the high school um, starting in. 2020s is when those those taxes will really start to increase significantly so the more we can do now um i i think the better yeah absolutely i think my opinion when i uh was running and i, and I still believe it today is that our, our education is a focal point in the city as long as as well as our senior citizens <clears throat> because i remember uh when i was running door knocking i heard from multiple senior citizens that said uh, you know they were seriously considering leaving Attleboro mm-hmm. because of the cost. They, they were worried about if they're going to be able to afford living in the city. I was like, that, that's what motivated me because I hate hearing that. You know what I mean? Like, you shouldn't oh, worry absolutely. about stuff like that, you know? But even more, it was it was always touching to hear people say, I may lose my house. This is, uh, I'm really struggling to make ends meet, but we need a new high school. And, to, and so yeah. Even even the seniors came out and supported this high school. They they knew what's what's best for the future of, of this city, and they they put that before some of their their own personal needs. So I think it's important that we look look out for them as well, and re, and return that favor, and try to do everything we possibly can um, to yeah. to give them some relief there. Absolutely, I'm glad it passed because honestly, the, the it, what what I wanted what I advocated a lot for too, and. It, of course, I wanted the school to pass too, but it was like the, the teacher to student ratio too. That's what I really mm-hmm. wanted to to fix because when when you learn when when you find out that classes are being pushed into a cafeteria because there's not enough room for the students, that that it was just like that's ridiculous. That shouldn't be happening in, in Attleboro. Um, but you know, the same issues that we were seeing with the school was some of the same stuff that I was experiencing when I was there. I mean, I graduated 13, but even before that, there were the same issues that kept popping up. Oh, the doors are this. This doesn't work. I'm like, they used to shut a building down sometimes because the heat wasn't working. Right. You, you know what I mean? So it's like, and then in the summertime, a building, forget it. It was just, it's like a sauna. You know, you're on a building at the end of the, at the, you know, at the end of the day, and it's like, whew, or the videos with steam coming out of the floors oh, yeah. and all that. It was, yeah, it, it, it was past time to, to oh, build absolutely. a new high school. Absolutely. But all right, uh, we got five more minutes. Uh, what's, um, let's see. Be, go ahead. So in addition to looking out for the seniors, I'm also um, working to, to introduce a, an option for hunting and to put some restrictions on hunting to just say that if somebody's going to hunt on people's private property, they need permission in writing beforehand. And it's, I mean, it's, it's, it's common sense. I, I think it's it's fair. Yeah. And it's also, if you look at a map of, of Massachusetts and this, the cities that have passed similar uh, ordinances within their cities, it's all along what's called the urban sprawl sort of line. And so as cities build out and build out and have less and less land available, they they tend to pass these these ordinances and so it, you can see it sort of moving west from from Boston and there's there's just a band around Boston that sort of stops around Attleboro yeah. and so I think it's it's time for us to pass something along those lines. You're talking about common sense legislation. 
<laughs> it makes sense to me. Absolutely. No, I, I completely agree because it was interesting because when, when I ran too, I was running into hunters all the time that were, you know, uh, ones that had common sense would always say that. Like, oh, I asked, I asked the, 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 the people that I'm, the property that I'm going to anyway be, before. Of course. You, you know, and then there's just some that's like, oh, I'm not doing that. That's just, this is lands for everyone, blah, blah, blah. And, and don't get me wrong. There's challenges with enforcement, and it, the the ordinance wouldn't be perfect, but uh, it's similar to what other towns have passed, and and it's just it just makes sense to me. So that's one of the things that that I'm working on. Um, additionally, going on in the city, there's there's the whole discussion about the ARA moving forward yeah. and and paying back their money, and do they get to can they can they keep the four hundred eighty thousand dollars to to clean up the the old landfill or not? Um, me personally, I think I didn't like the ARA saying that that they wanted the city to just forgive the money. That that was a, a tough pill to swallow, especially yeah. with with the high school and everything going on and taxes going up. Like now's not the time. Not that any time is ever the time for us to just be loose with with our money but yeah, yeah. especially now it, w- it was bad timing and then, so for the ARA to come back and say we'll give you back all of the money but in order for us to to move forward we need $480,000 to clean up this landfill that we can't get grants for it's the city's responsibility it was the city's landfill and in order for us to continue developing things downtown we like we need this four hundred eighty thousand dollars to clean up the land, and so that was a a logical thing. It keeps the ARA moving forward. It keeps the downtown revital, revitalization moving forward. Um, there was there was just a letter to the editor in the paper talking about how parking at the um, at the the train station fills up by eight o'clock. And, and and the question was, what's going on with the the parking structure there? Well, there's a number of things that need to happen before they can build that parking structure, one of them being cleaning up this landfill so that they can sell the land and move forward. So I'm supportive of giving them this this $480,000 to to clean up that land so that they can then move forward. And it's the city's responsibility anyway. Um, Grants for cleaning up landfills are, are provided to 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 the ARA for to clean up land that the the say like a, a company had disposed of watches with tritium or whatever in there and then the company went out of business and so there's no way for them to recoup that money there's state funds and grants available for that but where the city was the responsible party it's this that there isn't any money it's a similar thing to cleaning up finberg field yeah, yeah, absolutely. Alrighty, folks, we're in studio with uh, City Councilor, Attleboro City Councilor Todd Kovis. We're discussing his first year as a city councilor, kind of the current projects that are going on. I uh, talked about the marijuana industry, the, the country club, and just all the projects that the city has going on. Uh, so we're going to take a quick break, and then the, we'll do the our home stretch. We'll ask the history question for to, to Todd. And, uh, you know, we'll talk a little, little bit more about politics for the last 15 minutes or so. So stick around. We'll be right back after these messages. The National Diversity Graduate Fair will take place on October 13th from 3 p.m. to 6 p.m. at Rhode Island College's Murray Center. Attendees can speak with graduate admissions representatives from local and national colleges and universities. They'll have the opportunity to learn more about admission requirements, application deadlines, financial aid opportunities, and more. The fair is free and open to those considering graduate school. 
Those wishing to attend the fair can register by visiting diversitycollegefairs.com. For over 47 years, Amigo Inc. has been offering services and programs for children and adults with autism spectrum disorders and other disabilities. Located at 33 Perry Avenue in Attleboro, Amigo has been committed to building vital relationships while expanding their community ties on the local level. Amigo provides day programs, transitional planning, and a continuum of services to support all ages. For more information, you can visit their website at AmigoInc.org. Well, Jason, I've got to tell you, you're pretty much everything this company is looking for in an entry-level candidate. Great. Your resume isn't quite what we're used to, but you've got a fantastic work ethic. Thank you. And I'm impressed by how you carry yourself. So, should we talk about the job? Uh, what? The job? Oh, sorry. Yeah, I have no way of recruiting or even meeting you. This interview didn't happen. It may sound ridiculous, and that's because it kind of is. There's a huge pool of talent your company is missing out on. Meet the grads of life. Who are they? Talent worth knowing about. Young adults of unique determination and experience. An ideal fit for your company in an entry-level position, internship, or even mentorship. They might not have every qualification you typically look for, but they're exactly who your company needs. Man, we really could have used him. Don't miss out on a resource many innovative companies have already discovered. Go to gradsoflife.org to learn how to find, cultivate, and train this great pool of untapped talent. Brought to you by the Ad Council and gradsoflife.org. Alrighty, folks, we're back in studio with Attleboro City Councilor Todd Kobus. Oh, a little bit of a warning. <laughs> <laughs> we're uh, in studio with City Councilor Todd Kobus. We're talking about his first year as a city councilor, uh, the current projects that are going on, and uh, just like a city update, basically. So I, we have the last 15 minutes, so I w- I'd like you to just cover some of the things you want you to talk about or the current workings that are going on right now. And then uh, whatever time we have left, we'll uh, be kind of more laid back and kind of just talk about politics and uh, whatever what's going on you know so i'll let you uh what are some of uh, the projects going on or some of the current things involved in the city and so we've talked about seniors and hunting in the ara um have been working with counselor homes to potentially introduce some new business regarding um getting a a separate solicitor for the council and independent representation for the council i think there could be some value in that um what else those are sort of the main things. There's, I guess there's there's something about Beagle 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 Club Road. Oh, is that? <laughs> <laughs> I've heard of that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, no, I the the mayor put proposed an ordinance change to that's that's definitely a compromise for Beagle Club Road, um, and and I'm very uh, very supportive of that. I've intentionally made it a point to to not invest a lot of energy into looking at Beagle Club Road because so many people have done that before me and it's it's not super important for me personally um, if the mayor's proposal is is acceptable to the fishermen and to, to the residents of Beagle Club Road and it's a it sounds like a fair compromise to me I'm supportive of that I think it's a it'll be good to finally put that to rest yeah absolutely Absolutely. All right, guys, we've talked about marijuana. We've talked about Beaver Club Road, Country Club. Uh, I think we solicitor. We've talked uh, a lot about what's going on in the city. Uh, but a couple of questions were coming in, and, I, and I'd like to ask, too, is uh, you work for Google, or you did. Are you currently at Google? I'm still there. Yeah, so I, tr- I try not to to talk much about that, and, I, and I'm not here representing them. But, but yeah, yes, yeah, yeah. I, I do work there. Cool, cool. What did, uh, do, you, do you mind if I ask you, like, like what you do or? I work on the Play Store and 
yeah, so support that. It's cool, uh, cool. it's pretty exciting. It's a trip to Cambridge every every morning. That's a uh, hike. <laughs> but cool. All right, so let's uh, let's get more into like the political stuff. Uh, so what are some of the things in the political world that that irks you and what's bothering you right now? Because I know. Uh, whether it be nationally or locally or at the state level, there's always something in the political world that, that I mean, at least I know there's tons of things that bother me in, the, in politics, but what are some of the things that annoy you in, in this the political world? I think, personally for me, my biggest pet peeve and thing that I, I dislike the most is when people are super partisan on either side, whether it's it's way to the left or way to the right. I think that's what really bothers me when, when people aren't, actually looking at ideas and thinking through things on, on their own and just sort of blindly following the party line that that's what really drives me nuts and it a good friend of it just to tell a quick story a good friend of mine uh, when, when I was campaigning um, agree I probably shouldn't tell the story but uh was a member of the Republican committee agreed to put up signs and apparently they made us, us think about that um, and he he says screw it no I I've I've known Todd my whole life it, it, yeah. or his whole life and he put the signs up anyway and 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 I really respected that and respected the the integrity of that and it's sort of the personal courage to do what what he felt was right absolutely yeah. I I mean me I don't vote uh, based on a party I don't do that I vote, I look I look at a candidate if I think that candidate will do a, a good job where I believe they have the best interest in the, in the community because for 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 someone to just say, I only agree with the Democratic uh, views or I only agree with the Republican views, you're really not thinking for yourself. You know I, what I mean? I mean, I would be amazed to see someone that truly agrees with every single view of a party mm-hmm. because, uh, you know, I always said, you know, if I were elected, I'm representing the people that I was elected by, you know what I mean? And that's, you're there to represent your community. I mean, you have a party attachment, whether you're at the state level or, or whatnot, even at the local level becomes partisan too. But it, and, and it's odd to see it get show its face here at the local level because the, there is no place for it, especially on city council no and reason. whatnot. There's, there's absolutely really no not. reason. No. You know, it's... Uh, it's far more personal on the on the local level. I mean, you're you're doing work for your neighbors and your friends yeah. and your family. And absolutely, the, I always say the local election. I don't know a lot of people follow the presidential ones, but the local elections are really the ones that make a difference. In that, and, and that is the things that are, their council are approving or your mayor's pushing out. That's going to affect your everyday life because that's in that's your city. That's your town, whether it's a, a select a selectman or a town manager, or whatever. But those the things that are passing at the city level that's going to impact you. you know? Well, and talk about a last night we heard a proposal for a rotary on Rathburn Willard Drive with the cut through to Brennan and Studley. I drop my kids off at Brennan and Studley and fight with not having a light at the end of that road on a on a daily basis. And I mean, how much will that impact me personally, my family, and everybody that that has kids in this city? Um, yeah. It, and it's it's amazing to be a part of that and, and to have that sort of a, a direct impact. Yeah, because it's like most of these local issues, they have no relevancy to a party anyway. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like a street light or a parking or a pothole on your street has absolutely nothing to do with whether you're a Democrat or Republican. 
Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like oh, yeah. I, when I was running all the time, people, I'd be like, oh, you know, what concerns do you have in the city? I used to ask every resident that when I knocked on their door. And I'd get, oh, you know, I'm really sick and tired of that pothole on our of street. Course. Yeah. And so I'd be like, I go, and the thing is, sometimes they just didn't know the resources, but, they, you know, I showed them that, uh, what was it, see it, uh, click it, fix it. or See, click, fix? Yeah. Absolutely. And, and I would teach them how to report it. Within a few days, it was already filled. They go, mm-hmm. oh, thank you. I'm like, it, it, that's why That's why I kind of wanted this show is kind of present the resources out there to the community. Like, this is available to you. And, you know, that, that's why when I we mentioned the party lines, I'm like, that has, I don't understand why it becomes like that at the local level. You know? <laughs> yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. It's, yeah, uh, but, yeah. But, but what else? What else do you want to talk about? I mean, we got a, we got a few more minutes to go. We, 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 we went through all that material, <laughs> which usually happens. So uh, that's why I like the, the last 15 minutes is kind of just laid back and we kind of just talk. But is there uh, specific things, you know, sports, politics, whatever? It doesn't matter. So I've been hiking quite a bit with my with my kids. I yeah. hiked Mount Katahdin with my my oldest son, and he also was uh, scuba certified this year. So that's oh cool, that's, cool, that's pretty cool. We uh, we went swimming with seals before any of that stuff happened on the Cape. So um, no kidding, which was which was just absolutely wild. He he came up to the surface after being underwater and swimming with. 400 or so seals no and just said that was the coolest thing he's ever done it was uh it was awesome that's awesome yeah um, and then my my middle son um jake who's who's in third grade um he decided to run for for student council and it was super supportive and it's it's so outside of his bubble and outside of anything he yeah. would ever normally do and we, we talked about it it was like it was like hey even if you don't win it's. I, I'm super proud that you were brave enough to put yourself out there and, and to try it. Yeah, and yeah. I don't think he ever would have done that if if I hadn't also set sort of the example. That's and, awesome. And just threw myself out there. Um, and then he ended up winning. I, I was blown away. And he's it, it talk about a confidence boost. And it's it, <laughs> what's it's the point of go ratio in this classroom? <laughs> <laughs> what are my odds here? <laughs> but yeah. that, that's awesome. I oh, really, yeah, don't, don't get me wrong. I I counseled him on how to bullet vote. <laughs> <laughs> like, that's you, awesome. you got two votes, only one. <laughs> yeah, yeah, only one. Helped your odds. That, that's good stuff. But um, but cool. You know, we gave a come update. But let's uh, if somebody wanted to contact, I know you're Ward Three, but I, I feel like anyone in the city could probably contact you if they wanted to. How can someone get in touch with uh, Todd Colbus? The easiest way in the 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 way I I work best is through email. So if if you send me an email to councilorcobus at gmail dot com, that's that's by far the the easiest way. Um, otherwise, feel free to call me on my cell, which is five zero eight nine five four nine three seven two. And it's also available if you search online. You can, you can find it. it's on the city's website. Um, but for me, where, where I, I I do work during the day from nine to five, it, it's much easier to to respond to emails. Um, yeah, and and he, Todd Cobus is efficient at it because I remember when I had a, uh, certain questions in, uh, involving the city, he was really responsive, emailed right away. So I, I have no. Uh, no complaints. <laughs> so it's good stuff. Do you have any uh, things you wanted to, to mention before we wrap up? Well, so so with, I do okay sometimes, but I, I think as far as a counselor and a, a freshman counselor and growing, I think being responsive and organized is it, sort of the one area that, that I, I could do better with personally. Um, so it's it. I tend to focus on the bigger issues, and, and sometimes some of the smaller issues fall through the cracks. So if 
if I have forgotten to get back to anybody, just shoot me a reminder. It's it, it's nothing personal. Bombard them yeah. with emails. Please do. <laughs> yeah, no, it's it, it it's something I'm working on. Good stuff, absolutely. And they can find you on uh, Facebook too, right? Absolutely. You got a yep. counselor page uh, on Facebook too. But already, folks, and uh, if anyone wants to. You know, uh, get uh, Todd's information too. I can post it online or I can share his page to our page and you guys can see it there too. But alrighty guys, that's going to wrap it up for uh, tonight's segment. Uh, we'll be here next Wednesday uh, from 7 to 9 o'clock as well. And next week, next week we will have State Senator Paul Feeney and we will also have uh, someone from the, uh, the Steampunk Jewelry uh, City Festival that's coming on and we're going to talk a little bit about that event, what's going on, and Senator Paul Feeney will talk about kind of the current legislation that's going on, his his candidacy and whatnot, and so, uh, yeah, so all right, we'll be here next week again, some 7 to 9 o'clock, and uh, yeah, well, have a good evening, everyone.